Welcome to the Retreat House Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Smith. I've invited a friend to the table to share their story. Come and join us. Welcome to the table. I I am so excited about today's episode. My guest today has just by her story has encouraged me to continue to put one foot in front of the other as I seek what God has for me, what God has put before me, as I've done this retreat house thing and started this experiment of retreat house podcast. And I am absolutely thrilled to welcome to the podcast, Jessica Honiger, founder and co-CEO of Noonday Collective. So welcome, Jessica. Thank you. Thanks for having me this morning. Oh, I'm so excited. So I, it's your story. It's your story with Noonday that has always spoken to me when I've seen you um, kind of an if gathering junkie. So when I've seen, okay. <laughs> when I've seen uh-huh. you if gathering or yeah. um, anytime that I've heard you speak and just your passion and your tenacity to just go after it is something that really... Mm speaks to me. Will you talk a little bit about how Noonday started for those who who aren't familiar with Noonday? Well, I'm super excited to be with you here today as well. And I love the name of your podcast. And <laughs> as you know, you just told me you follow me on Instagram. So you've been seeing how crazy life is right now. <laughs> yes, so I'm probably going to end up crying at some point because I can tell you're one of those types that just kind of puts people at ease and makes them cry. I can just I, already tell. <laughs> I often cry on this podcast, so that's just fine. Okay, Tears there you go. Tears are welcome. Here, yeah, okay, great, great. Tears are welcome here. I mm-hmm. like that. So I started Noonday actually as a fundraiser to bring our son home from Rwanda. My husband and I had a couple of kids the old-fashioned way, and we had always been open to adoption, and he and I actually met when we were working for an organization called Food for the Hungry International, and we lived overseas in Guatemala for a while. I lived in Bolivia previous to that, and then throughout our marriage, we had always traveled and gone and visited friends and were always looking for organizations that were creating sustainable solutions to poverty. And he and I both have always felt very much the call towards working among the poor. And even the there's a scripture in Isaiah 58, when you satisfy the needs of the oppressed, your night will shine like the noonday. And yes. that's actually, yeah, that's actually how our company name came to be, and it's just very much in the DNA of our marriage. And so adoption kind of fit into that really well. Mm -hmm. And we began to pursue international adoption, which is a very expensive endeavor. And we had a little nest egg that we had saved up for it. And then the recession hit Austin. Mm. We were both working in real estate and soon we were living off the nest egg and soon we were putting groceries on the credit card. Mm -hmm. So at that point we knew we needed to do something in order to continue to pursue this international adoption. And we didn't think that we were, you know, I wasn't going to let some financial issue get in the way of getting our son. Right. And I knew we were either going to have to raise money or ask for money, which absolutely mortified me. 
And so I began to think about alternative ways that I could actually earn an income. And a a conversation came to mind that I had had a few months prior when my husband and I were visiting Uganda. And we were visiting friends there who were creating entrepreneurial opportunities for Ugandans. And one of those couples, one of those businesses that they started was was with a young couple named Jolly and Daniel. And they'd gotten them to make beautiful things, but they had not created a marketplace for them in America. They had had like one little kind of home show kind of thing. And then mm-hmm. the re- it was sitting in storage. So they, at the time when I was visiting Uganda, they said, you know, Hey, we've got all this stuff sitting in storage. And we know this young couple, Johnny and Daniel, they're really incredible. You know, you should really think about selling their stuff. And I just laughed them off. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? I'm doing real estate. I've got two kids. Now we're adopting, you know, nice idea. That's cute. Yeah, you know, my life is find, busy. find someone else. I've got too much on my plate. And fast forward a few months later, and we're in a desperate financial situation, and I'm pretty much willing to do anything. And I called them up, and they said, absolutely. And you know what? Just You can just have the cash for your adoption. Mm-hmm. So I opened my home one night, I went and, you know, drove, drove down, got all the stuff. And I like completely merchandised my house. I got out my grandma's dishes. I got out my clothes. I mean, anything that I could sell was for sale. (laughs) And I invited women over and I had them invite their friends. And, you know, at this point, I'll say, I didn't have a ton of friends at this time. I, I think motherhood had been a bit isolating for me. And I've always been someone who has never really walked in one group. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always kind of been, we're all at the table. And sometimes when you're super inclusive, you never you kind of feel excluded yeah. a little bit because you're just can kind of fit into, into all groups. So, you know, like I wear fake eyelashes and I had a home birth. You know, (laughs) (laughs) like I buy organic and my kids got vaccinated. Like I'm just kind of just fit into all the things. I carry a Louis Vuitton and I go shop for purses in Guatemala, Mm -hmm. you know, so Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's kind of always been my life. And so I really didn't know if anyone was going to show up for me that night. You know, I'm inviting Mm -hmm. women in, but I'm thinking, I don't really have a group who's really going to come. And I was so afraid that no one was going to come and that this was just going to be a big fail. Yeah, I totally but I'm get so, that. What? I totally get that. I get that yeah. fear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think whenever you step into an unknown and you're inviting other people along, our biggest fear is that no one's going to show up for us, that we're actually all alone in the world. Right. I think that's the lie that can really um, is kind of can be that current that flows through a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, I'm just so grateful that I didn't cancel because I wanted to. And women did show up for me mm-hmm. and they've been showing up for me ever since. And I think I have such a different perspective now on women than I did when I first started Noonday because I've just seen women show up for me over and over again mm-hmm. and say, you know what, I might not be able to ever travel to Guatemala, but I can open my home and I can, you know, invite someone in to sell some things that are going to, you know, create opportunity for these women. So I did that and we did several thousand dollars in sales that night. And there was this one necklace in particular that women fell in love with and it sold out. And I had women being like, oh my gosh, can you get more of that necklace? (laughs) And I'll open my house and I'll invite my friends over if you could just get more of that necklace. And so I called my friend. 
friends the next day in Uganda, and I said, oh, my gosh, this went really well. And they said, well, listen, why don't you, instead of just using that money just to seed your adoption, why don't you turn around and use some of that money to purchase product and do this again? And so at that point, they connected me directly to their friends, Jolly and Daniel, the local Ugandans. Mm -hmm. Um, My friends at this point were moving back to America. And I started communicating with Jolly and Daniel via email. Jolly and Daniel are on the other end completely desperate. They didn't Mm -hmm. have – they weren't even eating three meals a day. Their kids were in school. They were going to internet cafes to, you know, find – pay for a computer to even email me. Mm -hmm. And they also were totally scared because I was asking them to do things they'd never done before, like go and source raw material, go do this, go do that. But of course they were just saying, oh yeah, sure. Whatever you want, we we can get it, you know? (laughs) So as it turns out, eight years later, Jolly and Daniel now employ a hundred people. They now have two cars, their kids are in school. They are part of the middle class of Uganda. That's amazing. Yeah. And it was both, you know, I would say that Jolly and I especially are very similar. It's funny because her husband, Daniel, and my husband are actually very similar as well. And we really are like sisters that just live on the other side of the world from each other and have really walked through this journey of learning to own our voices and own that we're women that are a little bit, a little, a little loud, a little speak up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, a little jump before we look Mm -hmm. kind of people. Mm -hmm. And I think she grew up in a culture that still does not believe that women have a voice. And then I grew up in a culture, just a more of a conservative Texas kind of where rules with the woman kind of stays at home is Mm -hmm. definitely how I grew up. So we both, even though we're from completely different worlds are kind of have grappled through and walked through some of the thing, same things together. And it's been, it's been an amazing journey. If anything, this journey is just, yeah, like I said, I just have such a global sisterhood now that gives me courage and emboldens me every single day. I'm, I'm just extremely inspired by the woman that I get to partner with. That's amazing. And this is probably a good time too, to talk about the book that you released at the end of the summer called uh-huh. Imperfect Courage, which I, I love the title. And I and I think going back to when you and Jalia were first working together, that that's what it took for both of you to continue uh-huh. forward with each other. I mean, <laughs> with somebody on the other side of the world to say, I will trust you. Yes, yes. I think we were both, you know, I'm counting on them. I, I'm wiring them money. I've never met them before. Mm-hmm. I'm booking trunk shows. I'm like telling women, oh, you know, invite all your friends. And I'm counting on them to deliver. I'm counting mm-hmm. on products showing up. And they are counting on me. Mm-hmm. You know, they're counting on me to now, you know, order from them and to continue to order from them. And so really our prosperity became so linked. And I think that that ultimately is what has led to a sustainable courage. Um, you know, we were both completely imperfect. I mean, Jalia last to this day, she did not know how to make paper beads, which is what I was asking her to do. So she just went and like found some woman in the slums to teach her and she would just go learn. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. I certainly didn't have a business background and I didn't have a really a retail background or anything. So I, you know, we're both learning as we're going, we're feeling like frauds most of the time mm-hmm. because we're doing these things that, you know, I think oftentimes first make you feel like frauds. Cause you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. And right. it's like, well, it's 
point, none of us knew what we were doing, you know, mm-hmm. and that's how you learn and that's how you get experience. And so we're completely imperfect, a hot mess. And then both going scared, which is really how I define courage is just being afraid and going anyway. And that's really how this whole thing got built. So it wasn't built on fancy MBAs or (laughs) VC backed investor funding or, you know, consultants that we hired that were branding experts and merchandising experts. It really was built by two sisters who really, uh, you know, she helped me get Jack and I helped her um, create a business in Uganda that's now changing lives. And um, that partnership is really ultimately what um, I think is catalyzed courage. You know, now we partner with 4,500 artisans and 30 wow. other artisan businesses similar to hers. Wow. And we're all linked. Yeah. Well, and the word that comes to mind when you're talking about you and Jolia at the beginning is grit, that you uh, just did it. You did what had to be done for your families, for for your families. Oh, my goodness. Jack? Yeah. Is it that, really was. Yeah. It really was born out of a love of, you know, for me, our son, and then for her, yeah, fighting for her kids. And, um, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible, the, the grit. The grit that we yeah. just. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that is when you are, you know, I know that your series is how you, how you did it or how you do it. And I think the essential thing is being able to identify a why that is so far outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. It has to be about something bigger than yourself. It has to be connected to other people. And Mm -hmm. I think once you're linked to others in a really significant way, it's, it's hard to stop. It's hard to be a quitter. Um, You know, it's, it's kind of like tennis, you know, it's like, singles match, you know, it's different. It's different than a team sport, you know, Right, right. you know, you can't quit on your team. And so I think once you kind of link yourself to others, it becomes almost necessary to build and to keep building. So how do you, I mean, that's a lot of responsibility. If you have 4,500 artisans now, how do you, how do you carry that? You know, I think that I didn't carry it well for a long time. I think I did feel like it was almost this constant weight. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot, it's interesting, a lot of what's helped me to carry it is to take the long view. I'm Mm -hmm. such a, I'm a person who's very much biased towards action and I can often be urgent. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think everything is urgent and I have a vision and it needed to be done yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I have brought a lot of that energy and a lot of that that's that's very much the entrepreneurial spirit and it's how I've been able to start something but starting something and getting it off the ground is so different than sustaining something and building it for the long term yeah and And, yeah go ahead I'm sorry I also talk a little bit about how your business partner and the role that he played in that because I'm sure that too contributes to how you carry it absolutely so a few months after starting New Day, it became apparent this isn't just a fundraiser. And Jolly and Daniel began hiring people, and then soon enough, women are approaching me and they're asking me if they can be a, can, if they can also be a part of New Day Collection. I said yes, and so we started this ambassador program, so women can now earn an income while making an impact. So now I've got women in Seattle and Houston and Dallas that are 
they now are linking their futures to mine. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I'm like, okay, this is not a fundraiser. This is a business. And I need to get a little bit more serious about how we're going to sustain this. Because at that point, it was just um, really consuming Joe and I's lives. And we were about to go adopt. And um, so I knew I either needed to raise money or I needed to just um, hire someone um, or I needed to partner with someone. And so mm-hmm. one of the people that I reached out to, his name's Travis, and he and I had met in Africa years previously on a trip, and his wife and I are friends. We grew up together, and Travis had a business background um, after Africa. he Well, he was actually uh, um, working at a microfinance loan bank okay. when I met him in Africa, and he was creating entrepreneurial opportunities for African women through microcredit loans. So we had a very much a shared vision and then he came back to get his MBA, and then he worked in the finance sector for a while, and he was in Austin just working a corporate job, but I didn't know this. He had always dreamed and wanted to be an owner-operator someday of a mm. social business. I did not know that. Yeah. But I began meeting with him just to kind of get his financial perspective on our numbers, and after about a month of meeting, he said you know, would you be interested in becoming business partners? And at that point, that is also when the fear entered in because Mm -hmm. it's one thing when you're kind of risking your money, your reputation. It's another thing when someone says, I'm going to live off my savings account because we didn't pay ourselves a salary for several years, which is, you know, pretty common when you're starting a business. But to have someone say, I'm going to live off my salary, me, my wife, and our three kids, or or, I'm going to live off my savings account and not take a salary in order to see if this works. So that, again, once you link yourself, and and that was was a really big fork in the road for me. Like, am I going to that to me was saying, this is no longer a fundraiser. This is not a side hustle. This is a business and Mm -hmm. I have to treat it really seriously. And that was a big commitment. And I think as someone, again, who's a starter, not always a finisher, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, the thought of like, oh my gosh, like there's no way out. Like that's Mm -hmm. how it felt. If I partner with him, there's no way out. Well, and it must have felt super encouraging on one hand that he believed in what you were doing. That, that, yes, I, I wish I could say that. <laughs> now, I appreciate now, your I'm honesty. Like, oh my gosh, I have someone who believes in me. Like, you know, and I say, like, oftentimes when, you know, you yourself are feeling afraid, like, you can borrow belief from someone else, and mm. I can borrow belief from Travis because there's no one that believes in me more than him, aside from like my parents and my husband. But like, um, he was all in. He's all in. He's all in. But I think I, again, I felt a little bit of that weight, you know, like Mm -hmm. I seriously felt like, oh my gosh, his kids are going to wind up homeless because of me, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you have to take that risk. And you know what? That could have been an outcome. Mm -hmm. That could have been an outcome. But I think so many of us are, we play out these worst case scenario outcomes in our head and it prevents us from even ever trying to step into the unknowns. And then we end up feeling lives of purposelessness because we're just playing it safe yes I totally I I call it awfulizing awfulizing I like that and I'm an expert at it I will go to worst case scenario I will follow it to wherever there's a failure and I think that's why your story it, it, it has been so inspiring to me because I'm not that's my tendency that's my go to that's my default is to awfulize but to listen to you or to Joe Saxton and 
and start to believe what is the truth about things, not some lie uh-huh. that I'm telling myself or some lie that I'm allowing myself to believe. I feel totally. like it's been really powerful. It is. It's so powerful. And I think for me, it's it's just being aware that when you step into an unknown, you know, that's vulnerability. Vulnerability is taking a meaningful risk without knowing an outcome. Mm. And I think it's being aware that whenever I'm stepping into an unknown, and, and that can be walking into a room of people that you don't know and go sh- going to an event. Mm-hmm. It can be getting to know your checkout person at Target. I mean, there's... <laughs> millions of circumstances throughout our day, honestly, that can be stepping into the unknown. And, but a lot of us are just trying to avoid that feeling. Well, I just don't want to ever feel that feeling of vulnerability instead of realizing, wait, it's when we step into that place of vulnerability that we actually become connected, connected to others. You know, I think about that vulnerability it took for me to, to feel like I'm going to, I'm going to partner with Travis and I can't 100% say that he's ever going to actually, you know, be able to pay himself a salary and earn back his, the savings account, you know? Um, and yet at the same time, you know, it's, it's being able to walk through that vulnerability to the other side. And, and for me, as someone who does have faith in a loving God, that ultimately is what's helped me to walk in places of vulnerability and risk mm-hmm. is knowing I don't know what the outcome is, but I do believe there's a loving God who holds my outcome. Mm-hmm. And that's been able to enabled me to walk in a lot more freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have a whole chapter in the book about embracing vulnerability. And uh-huh. I have so many things underlined in that chapter because that that has that is the word that is the word that the lord gave me in, in uh, my most recent before it was pride and insecurity which is a toxic combination i'm feeling insecure yes. i don't want anyone else to know and yes. the, and the remedy to that is vulnerability mm-hmm. yep which yep. i'm usually an overshare so i always tell people like be careful what question you ask me because i'll answer it <laughs> um but I don't think that's oversharing, by the way. Mm. I think that I think that we just live in an undersharing society. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody else are just undershares. Okay, yeah, I like that. That's good. <laughs> you're just you're just doing what we're all meant to do, which is to to actually be vulnerable. And what? But it's a stretch. I mean, I love what you're saying about you know remembering remembering God. I just want to read a little excerpt from the chapter of embracing vulnerability. We all want to be seen and heard, but being seen and heard requires that two things happen, that we show up and we let ourselves be seen, vulnerability, and that when we muster the courage to do that, we feel we are heard, empathy. Notice something about this equation? It involves other people, right? And Uh. I love that being seen and being heard because I do think everybody wants that. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be heard. And what you're saying there about that involves other people makes me think about Uh your sisterhood effect, which is another chapter. Uh Uh And you've already talked a little bit about it, but will you talk a little bit more about the sisterhood effect? Yeah. Yeah. I think that we all are, we're wired for connection. We were Mm -hmm. made for connection. And I think some of us want to want to live a connected life without being connected. Like we think, Oh my gosh, can I just, 
can I pray this stuff away? Can I self-help this stuff away? Mm -hmm. Can I just listen to podcasts that kind of help me be more vulnerable? And it's like vulnerability is in essence about otherness. Mm -hmm. And you've got to step into otherness in order to be healed. We really are not healed in the context of aloneness. Mm -hmm. And that requires that you show up and are fully seen. It requires that you can't hide. You can't, if you are, you know, I, I talk about this, how I spent, you know, I spent so much time hiding the, hiding the noonday story. I was embarrassed that like I pawned gold jewelry in order to fund the business. I was embarrassed when I'd go to business events that we didn't have VC funding and that this mm -hmm. we were scrappy. And then I was embarrassed that I owned a fashion brand and yet wasn't a thin woman. I'm a curvy woman. And I was embarrassed when I was around my mom friends to actually talk about my business because I wasn't a full-time stay-at-home mom. And so I would live just these partial pretend parts of my story instead of embracing the fullness of my story. So if you want connection, if you're thinking, gosh, I just... I do have friends or I want to feel connected, but I don't, I feel alone. I feel isolated. You know, you have to look too. well, are you showing up and being seen? Are you, mm -hmm. or are you trying to pretend and hide different parts of your story because you're trying so much to control how you want others to perceive you? Mm -hmm. Because if you're doing that, you're never going to feel connected in the way that you were made to feel connected in the, in the way you long to be connected. And then, of course, the empathy part is just that we can create spaces for others where they can show up and be seen. And so that really is the sisterhood effect that are we going to be women who choose collaboration over comparison? Are we going to choose empathy over judgment? Are we going to create spaces where women can just show up mm -hmm. and be their full selves, you know? And I think oftentimes we judge because we're afraid and I think, you know, um, judgment says, gosh, that never, that never would have been me. You know, mm -hmm. I would have, I would have known how to strap the car seat incorrectly mm -hmm. so that the wreck wouldn't have happened. Or I would have had a fence around the swimming pool so the kid wouldn't have drowned. Or I wouldn't have been dressed so promiscuously. And mm -hmm. so I, you know, we, you know, I would have had flood insurance. So that never would happen to me. And we say that out of this self-protection because we're so afraid. We're afraid of grief. We're afraid of hard things happening. Mm -hmm. But empathy is being able to say, that could have been me. Right. That could have just as easily been me. Mm -hmm. And when we can approach people with that spirit, and then when we can also approach people with the spirit of, I'm just going to show up and be seen and be willing to um, kind of experience the results of that, whether it's connection or, you know, maybe the other person, you know, we, we've got to choose safe places, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but if we can do that, you know, we can really experience this, the sisterhood effect, which really is being able to lean into one another to lean into each other for connection and for um, healing and for wholeness. And um, that's a really special way to live. And I think when you can finally do that, um, I think you experience a wholeness that enables you to kind of bring that, that healing to a broken world. Right. And I think if, when you're, when you allow yourself to do that, it, it goes both ways. You're creating safe space for the other person but then you're going to also reap the benefit of that relationship, the encouragement. Um, you were talking about collaboration versus competition. 
And, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, women who, who are in like, quote, competing kinds of companies or organizations Uh uh and it's, or jobs and to see them come together and, and really be for one another is powerful. Yeah. It's so powerful. Yeah. Just cheering each other on and how you, it is. Yeah. You come out encouraged as well. Yeah. And I think that that really takes us living in this abundance mentality that there's Mm -hmm. always enough. Mm -hmm. And I think also it takes us, you know, jealousy is just wanting what someone else has. And when we're constantly wanting what someone else has, then we're not focused on what we have. And Mm -hmm. when we're not focused on what we have, then we're actually not going to give. Right. Right. So I think when we can actually focus on what we have, like, my gosh, isn't that amazing? Like, I actually really enjoy fashion and I love the poor and those things are not mutually exclusive. Like Mm -hmm. how can I bring all that to bear on the world, you know? And when we focus on what we have, then we can kind of move into our gifts. And then when we see another sister, we can cheer her on and we can celebrate her. And by celebrating her, it actually doesn't take away anything from us. Right, exactly. You know, in fact, it's just, it has this multiplying effect. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we're able to really like let go of the lie of scarcity and when we're able to let go of, of jealousy and of envy, and we're able to just lean into what we've been given and our gifts and our race. And we run that. And then we just get to like really look around and see, Oh my gosh, there's this (laughs) field of women running with me and Mm -hmm. we're all running together. And it's just, it's, it's powerful. So what, so you've been doing Noonday and, and it's very successful, isn't it? Like a $17 million business now? It is. It is. That's well, amazing. on its way to 20 million this year. So we're excited. That's very exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So then you took a little bit of a turn too with sharing your story and being a writer. Will you talk a little bit about the courage that it took to and the grit, I would imagine, to then turn and and do a new discipline with writing and yes. sharing your story that way. Yes, you know I do consider myself more of a storyteller mm. and less of a writer per se. And so I think I approach this book really from a storytelling perspective. Like I know how to weave a good tale. You know, <laughs> like I come from a long line of Texans, and you know I married this like very straight laced Midwestern guy who like really, he's like, I have to fact check your book, Jessica. Like, you can't publish a book without me fact checking it. I'm like, I know, honey. Um, So I weave tales and I tell stories. And, you know, really, that's really one of my favorite parts of my job is getting to travel and getting to walk with my sisters around the world and really bring their stories back to the woman here. And then also, the women here are ambassadors. They have these incredible stories of what mm-hmm. it's meant for them to earn an income and make an impact and be connected beyond their lives here in America. And I get to take those stories to our artisans. And so it's this beautiful um, mutual beneficiary relationship. And so the stories that come from that are so incredible. And I... I would say with the writing piece, I happen to be friends with a lot of authors. And so, again, since my tendency is towards comparison or focusing on what I don't have, it was very easy for me to um, kind of go, who am I? Mm-hmm. You know, like, who am I to do this? Yeah. And the in, 
but I would say like the process was such an absolute gift to me mm-hmm. because I am, I also, another way I've always kind of judged authors is like being non action oriented. I'm like, you're just writing. Mm-hmm. And that was like, I had to really swallow my pride because then I looked and I'm like, but look at how books have completely changed my life. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm actually staring right now at a stack of daring greatly <laughs> rising strong. I thought it was just me, but it isn't braving the wilderness. Those are all Brene Brown books. And mm-hmm. like, her work has changed me in the year of yes by Shonda Rhimes and um, grit by Angela Duckworthy. I mean, I, I just, there's been so many books that have changed me. And so then I was like, wait a minute, Jessica, like, like that authors are action oriented, like, you know, <laughs> and I think I had to realize too, that I'm such a collaborative person mm-hmm. and I am a creative collaborator. I approach all of my creativity through a lens of collaboration. And so when I realized I didn't have to like go off to the woods mm-hmm. with like a pack of cigarettes and a, <laughs> and some whiskey and like just be by myself and write, um, when I realized, okay, I can, I hired a midwife to kind of help me structure and write. And then I have another person who's worked for me for six years who has, does a lot of our noonday writing. And then I have another person who, um, kind of helps me make my thoughts more concise. And Mm -hmm. so when I realized this was more of a group effort too, that really freed me up to, really get excited. And then just being someone who's an entrepreneur, who's been in that growing phase of just going, 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 writing really caused me to stop and reflect and Mm -hmm. become a lot more reflective. Mm -hmm. And I I haven't read Annie's book, Remember God, but I'm assuming that uh, she probably reflects a lot on how often the Israelites stop and remember how often God tells his people, like, remember, like, Mm -hmm. don't you remember, like, Mm -hmm. remember me, remember what I've done. And it's, it's not something we're in the habit of doing being reflective. And yet I think it's, it's so important. So now I'm like such a fan. I'm like, everybody needs to write a book. Like, even if it doesn't get published, (laughs) like write a book. I mean, because it does, it's, there's such a discipline in stopping and reflecting and remembering that is so beautiful. And, you know, I, I'd hope to do it again someday. I have no idea what I would write about, but I just think the actual journey and the process is, um, given me, given me a lot. So I am really thankful that I got to do it. Well, the book is great. I was on the launch team for it, which was so fun to get to read an advanced copy of it. Oh, (laughs) which, and that was a fun little group too, to be. That was a fun group. I know it's so (laughs) sad that it's like, you know, I don't really get on there anymore, but anyway, it was, great group. It was a great group. Action-oriented woman. And one thing I was thinking about as you were talking is that I could hear, because I was hearing it now, like the things that you are really passionate about, your voice changes. And and it happened in the book when it got, you know, you were, you know, setting up the beginning. And then there was this shift when you started talking about the sisterhood and you people oh, need to know God. this and we need to work together. <laughs> and like, I could almost hear you in my head as yeah. I was reading it, which was so fun that you're, that you're, I mean, your voice, I was hearing your voice when I was reading it. Mm. I'm so glad. Yeah, I know. I do. I have that personality. If I'm not bought into something, you can just, it's like, there's no hiding. Like, it's like <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah. And I love, I was, when a a journalist was interviewing me for one of Austin's uh, biggest magazines a couple months ago. And it was such a great interview. And she, she said, you know, 
it's not that you just kicked me in the pants. You really reached out your hand. And that's what I've heard from so many people is just that mm-hmm. it's, it's like an action. It leads people to action. And mm-hmm. I think that that ultimately is a gift of mine is inspiring people towards action. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's actually, this is really funny. My, my uh, mom told me her dad, my granddad, when I was like in the third grade, he looked at her and he said, well, she's either going to be dealing drugs or she's going to be telling everybody not to do drugs. One or the other, you know? And I think, yeah, I think what he's saying is like, I like have always been someone who's like influ, like influence people towards good or towards bad, you know? (laughs) So, um, thankfully I got steered and more of the steering people towards doing good. Um, yeah. And I totally agree. I I did not feel like I was preached at or shamed by the book, I was inspired and felt like I almost couldn't finish the book because I had to go. Like, I need to go do this. I need to go do the thing that God is calling me to do. Like, I don't have time to finish the book, which I did finish the book. That's good because really the last couple pages are pretty beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, they are. And I don't know if you, you, I don't know if you have it in front of you. I guess this isn't in the last few pages. Do you have your noonday manifesto? Um, I do. I have the book in front of me. I'm sitting in my library right now. Yeah. Would you, I would love to have you read the Noonday Manifesto because I feel like that really concisely. Mm, Yes. Everything that we've talked about. um, It is. Yeah. And we really base the book off the manifesto. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Would you mind reading it? Sure. We are a sisterhood and perfectly courageous. We believe in second tries and going scared. When we look across the globe, we don't see strangers. We see ourselves. Her dreams matter as much as mine. So we don't judge. We do. We don't just talk. We act. We believe that by styling our friends, we can change the world. We're advocates and arm parties who style ourselves in authenticity and accessories, in confidence and clutches. We apologize for our mistakes. We don't apologize for being ourselves. We assume the best in each other. By embracing our vulnerability, we create compassionate spaces of belonging for ourselves and others. Her success doesn't diminish mine. This is more than just jewelry. It's an invitation to join the journey. We want nothing more than for women to stand up, step into their story, and own their worth. We are better together. We are Noonday Collection Ambassadors. That is so beautiful. Mm, thank you. Thank it's... you. That was fun to write, to do that. If somebody, as we've been talking about Noonday and all that you do and the way that you partner with women all over the country and all over the world, if women are maybe feeling a tug that they want to be a Noonday Ambassador, how would they go about doing that? Well, first of all, we would love to have you. We are, that's really a primary reason I wrote the book is to bring brand awareness and to Mm -hmm. help other women see themselves in our story. And you can go to our website at noondaycollection.com and you can click the become an ambassador link and we will connect an ambassador to you. And you can also DM me on Instagram. I'm on Instagram, Jessica Honiger, two G's, one N's. And I, uh, I also can get back to you with any, um, to answer any questions that you might have. Great. And I'll make sure that all of those links are in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you for that. So I ask all my guests two questions. The first one, because it's called Retreat House Podcast, how do you retreat? Is it a place? Is it a practice? What does that look like? 
Mine is more of a practice, and it is a practice that I, this week, as I'm getting, I have been traveling almost constantly for the last couple months, and so I'm very much out of my practices, which (laughs) one of my dear friends who, he's a psychiatrist, and he wrote this book called The Soul of Shame and Anatomy Mm -hmm. of the Soul that have changed my life. I love him. His name's Kurt Thompson, and we've gotten to be friends, and He said, Jessica, you need to let your practices set your pace. Do not let your pace set your Mm. practices. Mm. That's good. So I'm growing. I'm growing there. I'm (laughs) still on a big learning curve. But my 15 minutes a day of meditation definitely set the pace of my day. And that's just me repeating. I have phrases that change dependent upon my season. My one right now is, Christ is in me, Christ is with me. And Mm -hmm. I say that for about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And exercise is a way of retreating. Um, I feel like exercise helps me get in my body and I'm someone who lives in my mind. And so connecting my mind, my body and my heart is something I have to be very intentional about. So exercise and moving my body is really important to me. And, um, doing things physically with my family. So swimming today, I'm actually taking my kids roller skating. Um, I think just doing things together again, I think it's that mind body connection that Mm -hmm. uh, helps me to kind of actually get present, which is something that I'm not naturally bent towards. So I'm about to get, get into all that because I've been, I've been running a little fast and God's (laughs) like, all right, girl, take a seat, take a seat. (laughs) And my second question is, if you were to use the hashtag celebrate weird to describe something about yourself, what would it be? Oh, man, I I feel like I'm just a person of paradox. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had a home birth, but I wear fake eyelashes. I just went to Guatemala and I had like an hour in between two trips I was on and I had someone come to my house and give me a spray tan. (laughs) I would say there's this like paradox of like embracing beauty and having fun with fashion, but then also being like committing my life to the poor, you know, like I feel like we think of people who love the poor as like mother Teresa and their inhabits and, you know, they, they don't care about, fashion. And I would say I embrace fashion and caring for the poor and kind of carrying those tensions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do that well. And, And I have appreciated when you've talked about that, that instead of letting, feeling guilty about getting a spray tan or getting your eyelashes that no, this is, that's part of who you are. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love totally. Yeah, totally. Well, Jessica, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on the podcast and and sharing your story and your book and, and your time with us. I appreciate it. Well, it's been great chatting with you today. Thank you for joining us today at the table. Any information mentioned in the show or things we talked about can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Or if you've already subscribed, please leave a review so that others can find us too. If you want to keep up on what's happening with Retreat House, you can find us on all the social medias at at Retreat House Podcast. If you want to keep up with what's happening with me, you can find me at at Angie Smith MN. We'll see you next week.
at the Retreat House Podcast. Mm-hmm.